Okay, start recording. And we're gonna say welcome to the Love of Learning Podcast. Welcome to the Love of Learning Podcast. Where we bring the fun and discovery of Kids Quest Children's Museum right into your own home. I'm your host, Ali Sherotis. As you're playing in Kids Quest, have you noticed the display cases in each gallery filled with dolls from all around the world? Most of the dolls were made between 1930 and 1980 and were made in the countries that they represent. These colorful and intricate displays have been a staple in Kids Quest galleries since the beginning. What some people don't know is that before Kids Quest moved in, this incredible space was home to the Rosalie Weil Museum of Doll Art. When Kids Quest was preparing to open in the new location, they invited Rosalie to continue displaying a portion of her collection in the new museum. Did you start collecting dolls as a child? Or? Oh yeah, I've always, always had dolls. People always gifted me with them, and I was just the, the mother <laughs> figure. I wanted to mother baby dolls, so that's what I did. And I remember, you know, when other girls my age got to the age where their parents said, well, you're too big to play with dolls, they would give them to me. My mother never said that, so I just kept playing dolls and collecting dolls. <laughs> and then, of course, I saw my first antique one. How and old were you about? I was 21. This was in Juneau. I was living in Juneau, Alaska at the time. I walked into an antique shop, and I saw her, and I just, that was it for me. I mean, I never knew anything like that had existed. It took me three days to decide to spend the $25 <laughs> to buy her. <laughs> What was she like? Uh, she was a German bisque doll, and that was what the head was made of. It's unglazed porcelain. And I guess the fact that, you know, they were still surviving. This doll was, at the time, uh, 60 years old, maybe. But I still have her. So she's, you know, 130 years old now. <laughs> you still have her. Oh, That's sure. super special. Yeah. I still have them all. <laughs> oh, yeah. How many do you think you have? Well, in the collection, there are thousands. I like every doll, that's the thing. But I found that the more you learn about them, the more you study, the more you realize the relevancy of these dolls, their histories, and what can be learned from them, the humanity of them. The farther back in time, you're drawn. So I was drawn back to the early woodens, like from the 16 and 1700s, and that still is just something that <laughs> is very appealing to me. But I love the character dolls that look like real children, real people. I still love those, many of which were made in Germany. Turn of the 20th century, so 1908 is when the major ones of those were started. So interestingly, you said the humanity, the dolls. Right. What can you learn about history from studying dolls? Well, the humanity is that they're made after people, and people of every walk of life, every culture made dolls. And they depicted two kinds. They depicted themselves, so they were very authentic in the way they looked, the way they were dressed, the materials they were made of, because they made them what was at hand. And they made them of other cultures. So that was interesting to see what one culture envisioned another culture to be and how they honored them through dolls. Dolls have been part of play for thousands of years. According to the Smithsonian, 
In 2004, a 4,000-year-old doll was unearthed in an archaeological dig on the Mediterranean island of Pantelleria. And papyrus-stuffed linen rag dolls have even been uncovered from ancient Egypt. Dolls can be made from all sorts of material, really anything at hand, and often reflect the culture of the makers. For example, traditional Inuit dolls are made out of soapstone and bone, materials that are commonly used in everyday life. The dolls are often clothed with animal fur or skin, replicating the styles worn to keep people warm throughout the winter. I was curious what dolls might have originated from the Puget Sound area of Washington and found some beautiful examples of figures woven from locally collected cedar roots by Tulalip tribal member Judy Gobin and her daughter. That is a learning experience, too, to see how they use these materials. What they chose also teaches us how they honored their children because many dolls were play dolls. So what they put into them for their children that they could either afford or that they were talented enough to make or to pay somebody else to make for them. What are some of the materials? What are some of our creative materials? Uh, there is not much that <laughs> <I> wasn't used, <laughs> really. And many of them have been so lasting. I mean, they made them out of natural materials, um, you know, animal products, bones and shells, wood, cloths of every type, man-made materials like today, resin and rubber, vinyl. So anything that could be formed. Some were made out of leftover things, you know, pieces of leftover things like a bedpost. We had a bedpost doll and things that you could see the creativity that maybe a father or mother would take something that they didn't want to discard and use it. At what point did you say, I think I want to start a museum? What was that process like? I never did say that, actually. Other people said that for me. <laughs> when, when my doll club in Alaska found out I was moving here, they said, well, you should start a museum. And I thought, oh, well, that's interesting. <laughs> but I didn't give it much thought. And, and then... Um, when we were on our way, my husband said, maybe you should start a museum. And I went, really? And he said, it'll give you something to do. <laughs> Little did he know. Little did much. he know. <laughs> wow, it would give me something to do. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So when you did decide then that you were going to start the museum, um, what did you hope that people would take away from the museum? Or what did you want to share with people? Well... When you care for the dolls as much as I did, love them, and you realize their importance to the world, um, it's something you want to share, I think. And to me, uh, showing people the dolls themselves, telling their stories, who made them, how they were made, why they were made, and, uh, and also for other doll collectors, to be able to share my collection with them was just because they know what they're looking at and it's always great to be re reaffirmed, I think. But um, it's like showing off your kids, you know. It really is because you think, oh yeah, they see what I see. But also for people who had never thought about dolls, never even knew these dolls existed, you know, these time periods and uh, what they represented culturally. So showing them, teaching them, and having them make this realization, too, what were the goals. 
Well, I was really lucky to find amazing contractors here. Uh, NBBJ in Seattle were our architects, and uh, Color and Design did the exhibits for us up uh, Portland. And they were just so into it. Once they saw the dolls, realized what, what they were, they were so on board, and they really went above and beyond <laughs> to uh, to get what I what my vision was, and to develop it. We had five or six different designs to begin with. I had my favorites, what they would be on this particular corner lot space. The city picked the last one as the one that I should do. <laughs> but in the end, I think it served us really well. And I wanted light colors and accessibility so they wouldn't feel like they were being kept from the dolls. So a lot of glass that they could come up to, uh, drawers they could open and feel like they were right there with the dolls and toys. And um, just so people could come and be, feel at home because they recognized things or they could be in another country because they didn't recognize who they were looking at. Many people would say, I just come there to get away from the rest of the world. I come there for solace, or I come there to feel welcome. I, I remember coming on this one grandmother, and she had her two little granddaughters with her, and I walked by and I said, are you, are you enjoying yourself? And she turned around and she just had tears coming down her face and uh, and her granddaughters were just looking at her like are you okay and I said is everything okay she oh no these are tears of joy <laughs> so you know you know that you're touching something very personal well, yeah, yeah or the dolls are mm-hmm. what connections people have exactly and, yeah memories that they some people said I didn't even know I had that memory still but this doll brought it out at me and we would hear, especially from the 20th century doll rooms, we, would, we could hear people go, Oh, I had that doll when I was little. <laughs> that was always fun. What did you think when Kids Quest first approached you about coming into this space? I thought they were heaven sent. <laughs> I mean, really, what more could I ask for that a children's museum would be in this space? And then on top of that, when Potter asked me to do exhibits here too, I was, yeah, we could have some continuity. I could continue to share with the, this generation of children. I just felt the museum was in good hands. And so what's there now are uh, dolls from many, many countries of the world and representing different tribes and you know, cultures and different people from all over the world. And then their modes of transportation that have developed over time, some of which are very amusing and very creative. And the way they're depicted, um, uh, I think it's, it's really fun to see alongside the dolls. We were fortunate, a mother and daughter who were collectors in uh, California many years ago, Uh, decided to share some of the dolls that they had collected as they traveled all over the world. And they gifted us with 700 ethnic dolls. So just incorporating that into our (laughs) 
uh, museum and archives was just, it was a tremendous um, and welcome gift, but it also held a great responsibility. We've, we've been lucky enough to use them in places like this. We did, immediately we did the Folklife um, Festival in Seattle. And we did a huge exhibit there with these dolls. So it was, um, it was wonderful. Another thing that I've tried to collect are Native American tribes. And when we did our exhibit, and this was many years ago, but at the time we depicted 53 different Native American tribes. That especially is such a good way of teaching, like using dolls as a teaching tool right. mm-hmm. for the history of like this land in particular. Yeah, um, yeah such a, a good way to start a conversation, yeah. especially with kids. As you and your family are playing in the galleries, try incorporating conversations about the dolls with kids. It's a great opportunity to ask open-ended questions about observations they notice. Some of the dolls are caught in moments of action, like they're playing an instrument or riding on a mode of transportation. Challenge kids to try to replicate the instrument with materials in the art room or build their own imaginary mode of transportation with blocks. Even though the dolls are protected behind glass, there are lots of ways to engage with them. See how many countries of origin you can count. Thank you so much to Rosalie Weil for sharing her collections with KidsQuest and for talking with me for this episode. If you want to visit the dolls in person, head over to KidsQuest's website to purchase tickets. KidsQuest has been working on some really awesome new HomeQuest videos for our YouTube channel. The activities range from art to science to math, and of course, everyone's favorite story time. Today's audio postcard is a clip from one of Educator Jen's newest videos. Enjoy! This is a fun one. Today we are going to be doing a super fun experiment. It is called Ooblek. Have you made Ooblek before? So for today's experiment, all you need is a tray of some sort. You will need cornstarch and water. Those are the two things you really need to make sure you have. I will be using a pipette to help me control the amount of water that I am using but you can also just pour or use a measuring spoon. That would help. And then this tray I'm using, it is just a cookie sheet. This works super well for this type of experiment because it has ledges so that what we're doing doesn't necessarily get all over the table, but it is also big enough that we can experiment and work with our substance that we're going to do. I am going to start mixing these things together and something is going to happen. Ooblek is actually called a non-Newtonian fluid. Have you heard of a non-Newtonian fluid before? So a Newtonian fluid would be something that does not change its thickness. So like water, it's always the same thickness. Whereas a non-Newtonian fluid actually changes under pressure. So sometimes this oobleck will act as a liquid, but when it's put under pressure, it actually starts to turn into a solid and it can go back and forth and back and forth depending on whether or not you're putting pressure on it. Generally speaking, you wanna do a little more cornstarch than water, but that's why we're using this pipette so I can slowly, slowly add water as we go and then stop when it gets to a point that I feel good about. So here I have 
my cookie sheet, and I am going to slowly start adding cornstarch. I'm just going to sprinkle, sprinkle, sprinkle some of my cornstarch on the tray. I am going to slowly start adding water to my cornstarch. We do need to mix it with our hands. This is an experiment where we will get a little bit messy, but that's okay. I'm going to take my hand and I'm going to mix this up and we are going to see what starts to happen. It's dripping off of my fingers on to the tray. But if I gather it all together and put it under pressure like this, I can actually pick it up and hold it. It's acting kind of like a solid. Oobleck is such a fun experiment because it will keep changing. The more water you add or the more cornstarch you add, the consistency or that thickness will just keep changing. All right, everybody, thank you so much for joining me today on the laboratory. I will see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening.